0: RunAsRadio.com.
1: You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 315 with guest Dana Epp. Recorded Monday, April 22nd, 2013. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at P-W-O-P.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twittercom radio. Thank you Brandon and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. This is Richard Campbell. I am your host and I'm bringing back my my regulars. Dana Epp is back and geez, do I have to read this bio again? He's a security guy. There you go. And a neighbor. He lives up the road from me. Although, I think, when do we ever see each other? At conferences in faraway lands?
0: That's right. In other countries.
1: <laughs> Although, actually, there was an MVP gathering in Vancouver the other day that we were both at, which was amazing.
0: And yet, we couldn't actually talk because we were on other ends of the table. We're so busy.
1: <laughs> You're exactly right. I think I just waved to you, and then we ended up at the other yeah. ends of the table. So, there you go. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself? How's life treating you these days?
1: Um, no rest of the wicked for me. I'm lots of podcasts and lots of conferences and lots of content planning. Like that's just my job. Although I'm I'm doing some interesting stuff around Run as Radio these days. Actually, they before this show is published, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be down at Pacific IT Pros at their one day conference uh, in San Francisco, and we're going to do a Women in Technology panel as a Run as Radio episode. I hope you know, nice. barring nothing going wrong. It's not something I normally do. We sort of stuff we usually do on Rocks, but I got an interesting group of IT folks. I'm now much more focused on DevOps than a, than web scaling now that Strange Loop is out of my life. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, different topics for me to present on and opportunities to get some interesting shows. Hopefully, the folks will like it.
0: Cool. I look forward to hearing it.
1: Yeah, hither and yon. So, uh, Last time we were on, which was not that long ago, just a few weeks ago, we ended up going on about passwords till it became <laughs> the whole show. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the pre show rant and then it turned into the whole show. But that's <laughs> we, I had meant to talk to you about the new virtual machine technology that's available in Windows Azure now in the context of, is this a disaster relief strategy? What do you think?
0: It can be, you know. You know, it's it's one of those things where the capabilities now, uh, Microsoft's delivering an infrastructure as a platform that really actually. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So you know they're looking at it from a service-oriented model, using a lot of the experience that they've had for you know their other Microsoft cloud services from so Office 365, the Windows Azure App Fabric, everything that's in there. There's been this unknown, and actually just recently became public as a final. It's now out of CTP, which was that whole Azure VM storage system. And so now, when you think about strategies for on-premise and cloud, you can now actually consider. Uh, in some workloads. It's not going to work for everything. If you're sitting there with some kind of data set that's got, you know, uh, petabytes or terabytes of storage is not stuff, you're going to be wanting to have replicated and managed in, in Azure as, as easily. Yeah. But when you talk about workloads, right, that are on typical Windows servers and VMs, yeah, actually you can. There's actually some really cool capabilities. And, and I'll be honest with you, in many cases, it is actually more effective and efficient to run it in an Azure cloud than it is to do it on-prem. I'll you know, give you a perfect example here in our own organization. You know, we have obviously a SQL server here, um, but we actually also have SQL Azure access. And what we have is some workloads for manipulating, managing some of the data loads that are running on machines. And what we do is one of the cool capabilities that's in uh, Azure VMs is this ability to do point to point uh, with uh, Windows Azure Connect and create uh, IPsec protected connections directly through Azure Networks to a cloud instance of a working VM set. We spin it up as we need to do um, uh, calculated work. So when we got some workflow stuff that we need to run, I don't want to do that here on our infrastructure because right. I just, we're kind of at max capacity. I can spin up these VMs. We have uh, They use Azure Storage, which is awesome because they have the georeplication capabilities there. Mm-hmm. So I have, uh, I've got these VMs that are in a library that I can just bring up and then run the sets of data that I need to do and then I can bring them down. So I'm only paying as I need them. Sure. Um, but it gives me the capability. If we went down tomorrow, I could get, go to the coffee shop, I could spin up almost everything in these VMs, and they have the geo-replication. Um, uh, so let's say, hey, the, you know, Western North America goes out, I still have some capabilities of bringing this stuff up really, really quickly.
1: Well, that's still a fundamentals of the cloud, too, right? Like, the cloud's always had that capability.
0: It has, but I think the thing that's different now is that Microsoft has spent a lot of time because they've had to build it for their own self that they've been looking at the things that really, really matter like the load balancing to properly handle that. You know, it really, you take a step back, it's like when you think about your RPOs, right, your recovery point objectives, like what you want to do if there was a critical failure. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no one ever thought about the days of, hey, if a plane went through your building, how would you recover? But now yeah. that's like the, the standard, right? It's like what would happen if it wasn't there? Well, yeah, I could go into something like Amazon. I can go get some EC2 instances and try to bring them up but it's not on a standby mechanism I don't have an ability to you know elastic computing should be more than just spinning up a VM it's about that infrastructure it's about that management control I want to know I have the confidence that no one else can touch that VM or even see it with things like Azure virtual networks and IPsec policies I actually can make that VM be part of the domain and be centrally managed and controlled right. in the cloud and those capabilities haven't traditionally been um the kind of things and then because it's uh, surrounded around Windows now Don't get me wrong. You can still get Linux instances, um, but the reality is having those Windows licenses and everything ready there in your VM. I think I think we pay something like uh, I can't remember. I think it's like less than ten cents an hour. It's like nine or eight cents an hour for a VM for for uh, for an instance that's like got two gigs of RAM. It's got one CPU designed to just you know pin and calc and go out there. I think on our extra large VM we have one there that when we do the high end calculations, cracking stuff like that that we do. it's like 70 cents an hour, right? So I spin that up for like six, seven hours. I like got done what I need to do, and then I spin it down, and and I couldn't maintain that kind of infrastructure here. It's just not reasonable. No, it doesn't make any sense.
1: But when I think in terms of disaster recovery, and I think I said disaster relief earlier, so you can tell I've been working on the humanitarian toolbox too much, <laughs> which is fine. You know, there are worse problems that, you know, that I'm putting too much time into charitable work. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, darn. I, I look at the... You've got a data center. It's running your infrastructure fine right now. And you're having this conversation about, I want another site that I could fail over to. That, yeah, give me the smoking hole in the ground scenario. What happens to us? Well, we're down. And then you're confronted. And, you know, you've done this work. I've done this work. I have to build another data center somewhere else. That's going to be yep. able to do comparable work. And it's a lot of money and effort. The It's very appealing to me, this idea that I could make a copy of all of this that sits in the cloud, maintains synchronization. It's in a warm failover state. Yep. And it's yep. relatively inexpensive. And only when disaster strikes do we actually flip over to
0: it. Yep. Exactly. And, and when you think from a cost perspective, if you're having to manage data centers and you have, you know, when you, what, the, one of the biggest things I really hate about the concept of like, we used to have you know, our hosted, uh, we had a colo racks and we used to have, you know, half a rack that was sitting there and it used to just drive me nuts what mm. I was paying. And I was just like, this is nuts because as soon as I buy those, that gear it's already depreciating in a way that doesn't make sense, yep. and then, you know, a couple, I've I, I, I got to replace it, i got to go do this. And now it's like, I don't worry about any of that stuff. The, the cost is, a, you know, I'd look at it per hour. In my case, I'm still doing it. I, I, I do, um, as part of our, um, our RTOs, our recovery time objectives, I just look at What? how long would it take me to recover if that was gone? Right. What, how long would it take me to get back to a state that the company can continue to function? And, and in those scenarios, when I, get, when I look at my RPOs and my RTOs, and I go and say, at the end of the day, the, the, the frame of mine that I look at is, I don't care about the hardware itself. I don't need to worry about failure. I don't need to worry about any of that. It's just the the data that I care about. Is it secure? can I put it where I need to and can I continue on I will say there are things that I think Microsoft could have done better I think the concept of having a hot swap charge me for Azure storage but don't you know but don't charge me for a VM that's not running right. like, like the concepts that they have there you actually have to completely disconnect it but now the cool part is that it's all done in PowerShell so we actually have some PowerShell scripts that completely provision the VM so it's like we can actually have the VHD so if we want to not even a warm state if we want to have a cold state just have the image sitting in Azure storage we pay for the storage and then we just run a PowerShell script and that will automatically provision the VM it'll set it up into the Azure network the way we need to then I allow that to come in gets back into the system and now we've got that IPsec connection through Azure connect and now we've we've got access to that system mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a good way of going about it and, and what's nice is that wasn't there even 5 years ago like you know we've we, we've had EC2 instances. We've had space at Rackspace. But at the end of the day, we now got a real flexible environment. And the really cool part is things like Windows Server 2012 were right there by native. I didn't have to worry about waiting for people to get access to licensing and, and get all that stuff in there. Yeah. And what's even cooler, you can spin up new stuff because Microsoft has a complete library of all these VMs. Um, that It's just like, oh, you want a Windows Server 2012 instance? Just click this from the library and go. And then it's immediately up. It's like the things that System Center Virtual Machine Manager was supposed to do that we never got set up (laughs) on-prem. It's all there. It's like, and and it makes it there. Now, once Microsoft, you know, matures a little bit more on the System Center, if they can get System Center 2012 and above really to be in the cloud, you know, like, you know, they've done Intune, which is pretty much there for the client side. They tie that into the server side and really get it there. We could really get to a world where we would have a hybrid of on-prem and cloud services that can be also. Essentially manage either on-prem or not and, and allow us to manage all these different instances as we need them. And that really gives us a very new dynamic IT world, not just for disaster recovery, but for high availability, for um, just contingency planning. I'm actually wanting to get to a world where I don't need that much server infrastructure in the building. We can have it all where we need to. And of course, we have to deal with the, the local and geographical um, uh, security requirements and privacy requirements. But outside of that, we still have some good controls over all that kind of stuff. And well,
1: and I wonder if the DR mechanisms really lead us. It's like the opening the door to cloud isn't evil. You know, there's certainly organizations (laughs) that are just afraid of it. But then when confronted with this massive expense, we can say, hey, I found a way for us to pay for this month to month, substantially less, and it's in the cloud. And, you know, don't worry, it's, you know, we could, it's not part of our critical path right now. It's just a backup strategy. Like, it, it feels to me like that's a way to get your foot in the door. And once they start yeah. looking at those costs, they're saying, well, hey, could we try running stuff there even before the disaster and see how it works? And bit by bit, maybe, you know, create and demonstrate a case in the guise of DR testing to migrate yeah. well, over no, the cloud. And
0: that's, and that's a critical part, right? D, the DR is only as effective as the last time you've tested it and actually run it. Yeah, so sure. when you have the capability to run that offsite and see what that would look like and do a complete disconnect and see what would happen. That That's an important component, which not a lot of people are doing even on-prem, right? And, mm-hmm. and so when you can do that out there, it's really, really interesting because now all of a sudden you can see, and, and it's, it's non-volatile. In many ways, you can actually completely do a, a DR strategy validation, and it doesn't affect your daily operations. Whereas if you're doing a DR in-house and you're like, all right, we're going to do some fault-tolerant testing here. We're going to just start shutting this stuff down because we're going to be going huh? <laughs> it's, it's like,
1: I'm sorry, are you breaking our apps to prove our apps don't break? Is that what you're doing? Yeah,
0: exactly. Right? And so it's like, well, we can actually get this mirrored up there. We can actually completely create it. At one point, we actually had a, we, we did a test and I, I wouldn't recommend that anyone would do this long term, but uh, you know, we actually, in, in one case, and moved an entire directory infrastructure test and said, well, what if we just had even you know AD in the cloud? Now my, Microsoft's got Azure AD, which makes it even better because sure. now you can literally do that in a um, synchronized manner and you do get this huge capability of, of literally running your infrastructure in the cloud. Now, there's always going to be limitations that people got to account for. You know, being in Canada, we got big pipe here. It works really, really well. I'm not worried about bandwidth, but, you know, I, I have friends down in, like, in Australia that just cringe at the th- thinking because the latency to, to things like, uh, you know, Microsoft's uh, cloud services, there's some delays there getting into the Singapore data centers and, and the cost that they charge per byte for, for data transfer and access oh, doesn't sure. make it. Yeah, as, it's a totally different ball of it is, and, and that's sometimes you gotta even down even down in the U.S., I'm, I know talking to some of our customers, it's like, um, you know, if these guys are like, I've got fractional T1, or I've got an, I'm one guy's got a dual ISDN connection. I just cringe and go, Oh, you poor sod. Yeah, no you know, kidding. Or, uh, the world's changed, but there's, and in some cases, uh, there are gonna be plumbing, you know, things to think about that maybe it doesn't work so well, especially in a live scenario. If you're doing something like trying to manage, um, a redundant environment in a, in, you know, in a warm, uh, standby, you still need to be able to be able to do the data sync and manage all that stuff. So in our case, you know, when we have our SQL, we actually are doing, you know, daily, uh, um, uh, syncing between the data sets and, and that gives us the comfort that we're looking for, but you know, we, that costs money, right? You're moving that data all the time. For sure. Um,
1: well, when I look at it from the perspective of say Azure virtual machines, I mean, yeah. I think VHDs are just too big to be hauling around on a regular basis.
0: But that's the the great part about that, though, is that's what uh, Windows Azure storage is about, because it's a storage mechanism in the cloud. You keep the VHDs there, and then you're just replicating differences between them. So then it's it's the data inside the VMs. You don't care about the server itself. It's not the infrastructure in there. That's why I was saying, like, if you've got a petabyte of data, yeah, that's not stuff you're going to be moving around. That's going to be a problem. It's going to be, and that's you can't get around that. That's where you should just have highly available storage and have that in a way that makes sense to you. But but in the end of the actual the, the brainchild, the CPU, the the compute, it that's where things like Azure VMs can make a lot of sense. In many cases, it's, I'd, I'd even go higher. I'd say if you can use App Fabric and move apps. If you have web centric apps, move them in App Fabric. There's better capabilities in in uh, Windows Azure to handle that kind of stuff if you can do that. But from an infrastructure point of view, infrastructure as a service and Azure VMs become very Compelling when you think of it as an IT professional, it's like it's just another machine. Doesn't matter. It's just how you manage it is no different than if it's on prem, with the difference of how quickly it can be brought up, how quickly it can be managed, and then you get all the benefits that you don't have on prem. Because who 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 among us have lots of load balancers just hanging around, allows us (laughs) to segment networks off and do that, and who's got the capabilities of saying, "Hey, I need to if you need to spin up a hundred machines." You can do that in minutes. I, I can't do that here. I, my, I'm pretty capped on my, my capacity here. Sure. So I, we're not buying more servers. We're moving stuff to the cloud as it's appropriate. And in my, my goal is actually get to a point where it's, it's, we've got everything that's speedy here that we need. So, file, so we have our file storage here. We have our active directory here. But then we have uh, AD, Azure AD that's mirroring some of the stuff and components that are on there. And we can have all the other sets in there so if the building was to be disconnected completely, our, Remote staff could still get their work done through like Office 365, right. through some of the data sets that are there, but then inside the organization, they still have those large files. Like we have a video studio in here, right, for some of the video stuff sure. that we do. We're not going to store the terabytes and terabytes of raw footage in the cloud. No. It's just not reasonable or expected.
1: Pipes just aren't fast enough. And I also appreciate the idea that, you know, the issue I've run into with local hosting now is not that they're out of rack space, they're out of power. Yeah, and they're out of cooling. Yep. Yeah. I've got I've yeah. I've been in some data centers now whole racks are empty because they just have no they cannot get any more electricity in. They the density of computing has gotten so high that what you used to fill racks and racks and racks is filling up 142 or 148U rack now and they just can't feed enough yeah. power into the building to to do anymore.
0: And data centers are typically, you know, expected to be in geographically. It's in a space. You don't usually find that's like, I have a data center in this part of the country and this in another country. And that's one of the capabilities I really love about what Microsoft's done here is that you can pick, you know, where you want to put that data set and and where you want those VMs. So now you get that geo-replication in Azure Storage, and you can say, I want to put, and you can have multiple storage accounts. So, like, I have as a ultimate backup, uh, one of the tests that we do for our source control and all that stuff is that, we actually have a set of VMs that are literally in the UK, in the UK data centers mm-hmm. um, as a secondary backup in Azure Storage. And the purpose and value there is, let's assume that North America is completely disconnected. And we need a purpose, a reason to build, and we can't do it here. Can we still recover? Right. Yep, we can. we got an, we got an Azure Storage account that's sitting up there. We have a backup to it there, and it gives us a capability that if tomorrow we had a necessity where a customer said, we need a new build, and for some reason our infrastructure is toast in North America, past the fact that there's probably in that kind of world there's probably bigger environmental concerns I have like if all of the infrastructure is down I'm probably not going to be thinking about my company at that time yeah. I'm probably thinking about my life yeah there is a scenario
1: but, where it's like this is just not that important anymore yeah
0: but. <laughs> but the point that I got on there is that let's assume for a second let's not think something is as, as critical as that let's say worst case scenario Microsoft has a critical North America failure in their data centers right I still have the capability to get to what I need to from an Azure storage point of view and I can spin up new VMs so if I need to I can spin up Get to the set we need to uh, get our environments running where we need to, and then and continue on. So, so is it is it a perfect environment? No, but the fact is that now that we have documented processes on how to set up those VMs, and we've got an inf- understanding of how that all works, and it's all run through the Azure portal, it, it's very compelling. And the really nice part about that is, it, in many cases, I don't even have to go to the website of it. We've got everything now I, dr- driven through PowerShell, so it's easy to spin that stuff up uh, with a couple. Commands. So the the, um, the scripts that we've got make life easy for us. We're actually looking at it from a QA perspective now that we're starting to move more testing. Out into temporary Azure VMs because we can easily spin that stuff up. Hey, I need to test 100 different scenarios. I want to test all these different things. We use um, an automated uh, test platform from Telerik, and it works really well to be able to push right out there. So in time, we'll actually get there. Artemis, which is our uh, automated test platform that we built, can actually be able to use both on-premise and Azure Cloud Instance
1: stuff. Well, and now you have this choice of trading between time and uh and and number of instances essentially are cost where I, I can run this whole thing in 15 minutes if i light enough instances
0: Right, exactly. And, you know, we've actually come across that because we we have a max on our account of a 100 concurrent instances. That's just a thing Microsoft normally has. But we can call them up and say, hey, you know what, I want a 1,000. But the practicality of needing that many is is not there. And the last thing I want to do is uh, make a limit like that because my QA guys, they'd use it. They'd just push it all the way. Next thing (laughs) I know, I'll get this big-ass bill. (laughs) So, so, but, but it's there, and that's what I love is that we're not limited now about our IT capabilities in the organization. We are right. only limited by what our needs are, and of course, cost. Right? There are costs associated with that, but they're not terrible. Like I said, I I think we pay like nine cents an hour. For a uh, for a VM, and you know, you consider in our case, so when we were doing some redundancy testing in Azure, we, we literally just spun up two instances of Windows Server 2012. We used the, the rate built into it. You can have what's called availability sets, and you can actually put multiple VMs into the availability set, and then all of a sudden, we had full load balancing capabilities, and we had basically with SQL uh, Azure with the clustering capabilities there. We had a full network load balanced uh, web instances of some of our software in less than an hour, and what was really, really powerful about that is that was a highly available, redundant, fault tolerant environment that I could not build here as quickly with just just the network path of that and uh, configuration and the fact of having to go find new load balancers, do everything. And it was cool. When we were done with it, we ripped it right out, and we just, that was we were done. The cost was very minimal in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, time you have, a,
1: yeah, that scenario where it's like I need a lot of computing power, but for a set length of time. Even if it was a few days, it still makes this is much more economical and efficient.
0: Yeah, So you think of a scenario that you know your, your office has a critical uh, down a fire or something in, in the server room, and you have the capabilities of spinning it up, so you run it there for a week or two weeks while you get new infrastructure, yeah. get everything back, and then you bring it back. That's a perfect example of where infrastructure as a service makes a lot of sense. Although, in many cases, I think what you'll find is uh, and pay, you, can, you combine it with whatever your uh, backup strategy may already be. Like some people have on-prem, like for us, we actually use an external provider um, uh, called eVault that does a lot of our, you know, our system state and our data set on there. So at the end of the day, if I had worst case scenario, let's say everything failed and everything went wrong, I can go and easily spin up a new Windows server in Azure, put the eVault recovery on there and recover back to that bare, bare metal in no time at all. And they've got big pipe. Microsoft has big pipe way faster than I have here. We can be up in hours and 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 that's very interesting to me. And then when you combine that with the fact that we can say, but I still need that to be visible as it's on the network here, well, now you use things like the Azure Virtual Networks and Windows Azure Connect, and now you've got this IPsec-protected connection between the computers and the VMs, and you've got everything you need. It's it's just like it's in the office with just a little bit of latency. So that gives you some huge capabilities that doesn't exist. You're not going to find that natively in other providers out there. That's not the kind of infrastructure that was built out there. You can get a VM.
1: Yeah. And, and at least that would be totally usable temporarily till you can start having infrastructure back in the building again. Like I, exactly. I have worked through those smoking hole in the ground DR scenarios where where can we set up a temporary office? How do we get the phones redirected? The idea of being able to, you know, get an internet connection to that building and stand some basic infrastructure up in the cloud. To me, the big milestone was can we make the next payroll period? Yep, people exactly. still need to be paid doesn't matter how big the fire was. And so just yep. getting that sort of base mechanism up now can we get are we still doing work are we still generating revenue like how quickly can you from literally rubble get that operational in some sense again yep. the, the other side of this that I find interesting is the this whole conversation of when clouds go down disaster recovery in the cloud for the cloud. And I've talked to a lot of folks these days that are running Azure and EC2 and being able to fail between them so that they are tolerant to the fact that those providers occasionally have outages.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, and you take that one step further, you know, there's this expectation it's like, well, if it's in the cloud, I don't have to worry about it anymore. They'll take care of it. Well, I actually think that's a really poor decision from sure. an IT perspective. It's our data still. We're responsible for it. That's why when we like, we have all of our customer-facing stuff running, and we have our own Windows Azure apps that we use for like our customer portal and our storefront and all that stuff, and although that's in SQL Azure, we still have a complete replication that comes back to our SQL server on-premise. It's an obligation we have to assume tomorrow that Microsoft's not there it's not that they won't be but it what capacity it's not like there, there hasn't been failures in the past and and it's not that's not a Microsoft problem like Amazon's had problems too right sure. and we've seen Rackspace they all do and it's just the practicality of you can't account for everything um, so yeah it makes a lot of sense that's kind of interesting we're just building up some new cloud services that I can't quite talk about right now but mm-hmm. but what's interesting is that we actually have things like uh, uh, failover uh, DNS and lookups and everything running in multiple different programs with the expectation of if things go wrong, it's usually going to be in those weird places like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's going to be the scenarios that you can't route to the right place because something kind of goes wrong. What can we do about that? I, I'm pretty confident that, you know, we're not going to be seeing, um, you know, the uh, geo replicated uh, Azure storage stuff going away. But what you see is like the failure that just happened there a couple months ago where someone forgot to update the certificate and now all of a sudden you can't access Azure storage. Right. That becomes a critical problem. And, and that's a, you know, it's a simple example. And what's funny is everyone's like, oh my God, how can Microsoft have that? I like, well, guys, three years ago, Azure, um, uh, Amazon had the same problem. No one seems to remember that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it happens. And so in the end, it's like, yeah, you, it's good and smart to consider having that. mean, it's interesting, I think it's, uh, you know, don't quote me on this one, because so I could be totally off-basis, but I heard a rumor at one point that iCloud itself, uh, Apple actually was running that with its primary in uh, Azure with, with a failback to EC2. So it's like even their own cloud storage and how they're managing all that stuff is actually a redundant across cloud providers for that specific reason.
1: Sure, yeah. And, and it, it was a story back a couple of years ago about that Apple's iCloud was running both on Microsoft and Amazon. Yep. I don't yeah. know where and it is today. Sense. It does make, it makes absolute sense. And I totally appreciate this idea that just because you're using cloud doesn't mean you, you abrogate your own responsibilities for uptime. That's right. And just because you yeah. have someone new to blame that's bigger than you. Uh, although, admittedly, their uptime is better than virtually every other company's uptime that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some good ones. And the reality is, we all, if we got five nines out of a month, it was a party. You know, real life isn't five nines. The internet is not five nines. So, you know, what are we talking about?
0: It's their job. You know, one of the things I see, especially when I go in tour and I'm talking at a lot of these conferences is that, especially in the SMB space, I I, I hear it very regularly that IT professionals have this... Uh, the ones that are anti-cloud and and they may have their own reasons about it but what they normally come down to is it's that I can manage the infrastructure better than they can and I just inside my head I just laugh I go you know I I get you could be one of the most amazing IT pros out there but you just can't afford what 5.9s cost you just can't in the infrastructure you're trying to do and you don't have the expertise in all the work like you look at Microsoft as an example you know they hold multiple certificates and attestations for uh, securing compliance on on their infrastructure And, and they actually spend the time to make sure that they meet those those requirements. If I think about cloud security as an infrastructure point of view, I have way more expectations and a better capability of control. Uh, in, in, in the cloud service than I even have on-prem because sure. on, on-prem, like, well, you know, I, uh, you know, my office is, you know, we've got all the security cameras and we have the locked doors and we have the bars and the right windows and all that stuff. But in the end, the truck's going to be able to drive through here and, yep. and, and get through if they need to, right? That's not the same way. If you've ever looked at how the, um, these data centers are, are being protected and the, the physical controls and the, uh, and, and anonymity that they provided in the system so that, you, you know, you can't just easily know where to go to get something yeah. it's like it, th- that that really matters it's very important and in their built in infrastructure when you look at it if you actually there's some really good documentation Microsoft provides on how they make sure and maintain the redundancy and the capabilities like you're never going to have two VMs in the same rack in right. the same box. They're going to be in different ones. It may not be that they're going to have two different VMs in different data centers across the country, but they'll actually have it in a way that a single point of failure isn't going to exist in that areas. And that helps to make it better. And that's just stuff. That's their job. That's what they do. And at least Microsoft can put their money where their mouth is. They actually have SLAs with you know, when they've had failures, they've contacted us and they've said, "We're giving you some money back." Right. You know, we're not. These are the things that happen, and they provide the root cause analysis that it gives me confidence that as they continue to get better at this and they grow and mature. That they're always considering what needs to be done. And they have a responsibility to do that, right? This is, it's, it's, it's an infrastructure that they have to count on if they truly want to be in the cloud, as they, as they always chant.
1: We get back to the same old idea here that most of the time our business isn't actually running infrastructure. We do something else. You know, you're selling widgets for a living, whatever that may be. We happen to need infrastructure to be successful at it. We recognize that infrastructure is a competitive advantage. But these cloud providers, and I have no problem with Azure, I have no problem with EC2, both, this is their whole job. Like, the, all they are is uptime, reliability, scalability. Like, it's not, it makes sense. They have the right mission for what we want. It's a mission we shouldn't have because we actually have a different set of goals.
0: Yep, exactly. And what I love about it is that they're constantly improving, right? So at the end of the day, if it's if it's talking about their, their you know, what is their uh, power... Um, uh, PUE uh, calculations, or they're talking about you know what they're doing to manage those. Uh Adding new data centers or, or new. I, I love in the case of the Azure, they have these big semi trucks. They just literally just bring these boxes and slam them right in there. Yeah. And uh, I look at that and go, so that's pretty cool to have a modular design that can all, give you such huge capacity as required. Um, and from an infrastructure as a service point of view, I love the fact that they can now, if you look at it from a cost perspective, I think Scott uh, uh, Guthrie had a really nice uh, post, I think it was last week, where he's talking about the general availability of, uh, of the Azure infrastructure. As a service, and they, he goes into real good details to explain, you know, what what they've done and how the costs have went down. And I, I, I can't remember the number, but it was kind of insane. It was like twenty five percent reduction in the costs of VMs now, just because of how they've re- launched it and how they uh, they run that. And i look at go and say, how do you compete? I'm not going to go and buy another, you know, fifty thousand dollars of hardware gear just to get some more capacity on yeah. there when I can just go and pay nine cents an hour per VM.
1: Yeah. Very hard to argue with any of that. Yeah, I, the other thing I like about the scale that they're working at now is uh, there was an incident a few years ago where the FBI seized a data center at going after one particular customer that was involved. I, th- I believe it was child pornography, and yeah. so the FBI, not being necessarily a technical organization, but getting a a a a, 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 a writ from a, a judge, was able to go and shut that data center down and literally haul the racks away. And every customer of that data center was. Affected by that, I just imagine them trying to go into that big data center in Ireland, where they're all in <laughs> in shipping containers, and saying, "Have at it, boys." Yep. You know, they, yeah. they,
0: they, the other side of it, too, though, is that when people get scared of that kind of stuff, then they're like, well, there's the side of, hey, you're going to lose the data center if, you know, trying to keep some costs down because you have local, you know, colo and that. Right. That's one side of it. But it, it, it is still possible that if people are scared of that kind of, like, uh, if, if if the FBI really wants to come in to do something, the, the key difference that people have about on-prem and cloud is the aspect that if you have control of the data sets on-premise, unless they black bag it and they're actually going to, you know, covertly get in there, they're going to have to pr- Provide you with the warrant and they have to come in so they at least get some knowledge. You don't have that if they were to go into, let's say, a Microsoft data center right away. Right. But that doesn't mean that you don't have your own protections. In our case, as an example for our VMs, we run auth envil, uh, two factor auth on every single VM so yep. that we have the, the auth control there. So Microsoft can't just log in um, directly to the system itself. We actually encrypt everything uh, that makes sense to encrypt on the system. So sure. um, we actually have all the data sets are encrypted in SQL Azure anyways. We've got the uh, access and then we have something similar to Tripwire that we uh, automatically get alerted if people tr- uh, adjust or touch things like the file. So at the end of the day, when certain files are hit, we know and are made aware of of what's going on there. So in the end, we still have the ability to to monitor and know. And and so at the end of the day, that gives us the confidence. And hey, at the end of the day, if someone, if the FBI goes into Microsoft's data centers because to see that it, it's not going to be because of a player in one place, they're going to shut down that account and work sure. backwards through that. They're not going to be affecting us. But if they do. How about better. It's not going to be that easy for you. Well, them and I appreciate it. It.
1: once again you bring up that point of just because you've moved it off your premises doesn't mean you've given up its responsibility. That is right. InfoSec is still InfoSec, and it's our responsibility.
0: If anything, it's even more important, and more paramount, because you, you, have, you need to have confidence in the systems that you're using. Sure. Um, and that's one of the things I do like about, you know, I, I get the benefits. like You know, I always, I, I, I just, I don't know why I, I care so much about it, but I really love the fact that Microsoft, you know, really early on, decided it's like we're going to make things like Azure Connect exist so that you can have a, a proper IPsec-protected connection between your VMs and your computers inside the org. So I can still do things like SDI properly. I got full server and domain isolation capabilities. I can decide because one of the systems we have there is an HR system that's in the cloud that we use, and in the end, I've only got a couple people that need access to that. I have the confidence and control that only they have access to that information. The data is encrypted the way I need it to be on the on the on the disk itself. Plus, I have the access control I need. So even if one of my you know really good um, uh, developers wanted to have a heyday, I don't have to fret about that because the right security is already in place, and it just extends to that VM. Nice. No different than it was here.
1: Hey, Dana, always fun to talk to you.
0: Always a pleasure, and you know, give me a call if you ever want to talk.
1: You bet, and we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.